0: Today on Blue 58, the Packers won't need to find a new defensive coordinator this offseason. Mike Pettin will return. Let's talk about why it may be a good idea. Then let's talk a little bit more about how I'm wrong a lot. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Well, that was short lived. Mike Pettin is going to be back for the 2020 season. Matt LaFleur says they're going to evaluate everything and then decides, what, a day later, that Mike Pettin is going to be back. Look, I made a case for moving on for Mike Pettin. I wasn't ever super certain they were actually going to do that. In fact, I I think I even went so far as to say he would probably be back. Maybe not necessarily my preference, but I understand why. But let's turn to what you think about this. Two listeners I spoke with online today made really cogent pro Petten cases on Twitter. I saw. Uh, Not going to try to pronounce this first gentleman's name. Um, I don't want to butcher it. But his uh, his Twitter handle is at j o a o q seven. He says, "I think it's nice they decided to keep the coaching staff. Otherwise, here we go another rebuild. We got a pretty good D this season overall. Now we need to go get the right players for better execution." Then Kev GK says, I'm pro-Peton to a degree, but more so pro-retain and above-average defense because elite defenses are too volatile to chase after, where offense is more important and safer return on investment. Couple thoughts on those thoughts. First, to the first gentleman's point, I do think there is a talent gap in the Packers' defense, they're pretty solid front to back right now, there are a couple holes. I think Blake Martinez could be that much of a drag on the middle of their defense that it could be hurting the whole unit. They could really use some athleticism in the front middle part of that defense. They could also use another defensive lineman. Both of those things would go quite a long ways towards stopping the run, which I don't know if you've heard has been a bit of a problem for the Packers defense. Secondly, to Kev's point, I think hoping for and maintaining an elite defense is a lot bigger ask than most realize. And I think Kevin is on the right track there. It's hard to build an elite defense in the NFL in 2019, 2020, whatever year we're in now. For the simple reason that it takes a whole lot more players to be great on defense than it does to be great on offense. Defense, it seems like you have to build a lot longer and lot stronger chain to have a really strong unit at every Every level of the group. You have to have quality players at every level. On offense, I think it's a lot easier to hide weak parts. On defense, not so much. Secondly, it's a lot harder to stay there. It's hard to stay elite just because there's so many, again, moving parts to putting together a an elite defense. Just look at what happened to the Chicago Bears over the last year or two. In 2018, they were an absolutely elite defense, historically great or very near it in some areas. In 2019, they were merely just very good. You can win with a very good defense in the, in the NFL, and a lot of teams around the league would have really enjoyed having the Bears defense. There's a lot that I like about the Bears defense, but they were not quite as healthy in 2019 as they were in 2018. They didn't get quite the level of performance from some players, and as a result, their overall effort suffered a little bit. They were still very good, but they were merely very good instead of elite. It's it's a lot harder to do. Maybe bringing Mike Pettin back allows you to stay at that above-average-to-close-to-good level. The continuity alone could help a little bit. In the short term, the important thing to take away here is that I was wrong about Mike Pettin. He is coming back for sure. Here are some more things that I was wrong about. This is actually one of my favorite episodes to do over the year because we get to talk about predictions. Longtime listeners will know that I don't particularly enjoy doing predictions. The thrust of this show has always been a lot more, here are some things that could happen and here's why, or... Here's why this thing happened and what it means for the team going forward. Trying to put things in context, try to give things background, stuff like that. But once a year, I sit down and I make a whole bunch of predictions. It feels like something of a moral obligation for someone who writes and talks about the NFL. At some point, you got to do some predictions. So I sit down and I do some they're almost always not super great. Last July or August, I believe it was August, right before the start of the season, I sat down and I wrote a piece with all my predictions in it. You can read it at thepowersweep.com. I will include a link to it in the show notes, but we're going to talk to talk through all of the predictions anyway here, why I made them and why they were right or wrong. Spoiler alert, I did not do super great on the predictions. I only got six of my 17 predictions right for this season. But that's okay. Because the entire episode, the entire idea behind this episode is to be someone who's accountable for the things that they say. One of my great annoyances with sports media in particular, and the media in general, is that there are no consequences for sitting in front of a microphone or in front of a camera behind a microphone, in front of a camera, and talking about what you think is going to happen. Very few people will ever circle back and check you on it. You can say outlandish things with very few consequences. As long as you say enough of them, it's just going to drown out whatever backlash you get on your takes. I want to take the opposite approach. Take a list of things that I wrote down that I thought would happen and really look at them why did I think that's what was going to happen? So let's dive in. We'll go overall, then offense, then defense. 17 predictions. Here we go. First prediction from last year. I predicted the Packers record would be between 9-7 and 11-5. And, and, and honestly, I figured a little bit closer to the low end. They were 6-9-1 in 2018. I figured a good jump would be going to 9-7, and 10-6, something like that with a first-year head coach, a first-time head coach. And wouldn't you know it, the Packers did significantly better than that. They went 13-3, and I was wrong. Did the Packers probably overachieve a little bit to get to that record? Yes, absolutely. Their expected win-loss total by point differential was closer to 9-7. and But this is the entire the Packers are frauds argument. Did they win 13 games in the NFC North this year, or did they not? That's the only question that matters. It doesn't matter how many games they should have won or won on a fluke play or because something broke their way. The only thing that matters is whether or not they put that mark in the win column. And the Packers were able to do that 13 times this season. Doesn't matter what should have happened. That's what did happen. The Packers were 13-3. and free, 13 and 13 If that makes them frauds, so be it. Second prediction. I predicted the Packers would not win the NFC North. They did. Back last season, back before last season, I thought the Packers were a year away from winning the NFC North. I thought they would be flip flopped with what ended up happening with the Minnesota Vikings. I thought the Vikings were a little bit further along in their development. I thought they would beat the Packers, and I thought they would be the NFC North champs. Instead, the Packers handled the Vikings pretty easily both times less easily in the first half of the second game and perhaps more easily than they would have otherwise because Dalvin Cook was out for the second game but again they can't control who they play they beat the Vikings both times they beat everyone else in the division both times and they came out on top in the NFC North over 2 over 3 When you talk about Aaron Rodgers throwing touchdown passes, I predicted he'd throw between 35 and 43 touchdowns last year. I thought, clearly, the Matt Lafleur offense would have a much bigger impact on the Packers passing game. I also was probably a lot higher on the Packers' young receivers than I should have been. Because Aaron Rodgers only threw 26 touchdown passes in 2019. And in general, the passing game was kind of flat this year. Outside of Devontae Adams, there was not a lot to get excited about going on in the air. So we had a miss there, but looking to the future, maybe things turn around a little bit. The story I'm seeing pop up more and more about the Packers and about Matt LaFleur is how actually it takes two years to implement this West Coast Shanahan tree offense. I don't know if I buy that. I think that sounds like a fairly convenient excuse for an offense that kind of underachieved at times. But let's say that it is true. Is there any examples of how quarterbacks have done recently in this system? As a matter of fact, there is. Matt Ryan, probably the most famous recent pupil, had a significant jump from year one to year two in this very offense. From 2015 to 2016, his completion percentage jumped from 66% to 69%. He threw for about 400 more yards and threw for 17 more touchdowns. Now, there are probably some extenuating circumstances there, but maybe we see a similar jump for Aaron Rodgers in year two in this offense. We'll see. For right now, I'm 0 for 3. And moving to 0 for 4, when we jump to our next prediction, Devontae Adams would have more than 150 targets for a second year in a row. This was an interesting story early last season because a lot of people figured that the Packers would be a little bit more balanced through the air on offense. I did not believe that. I thought Aaron Rodgers would turn to his security blanket, Devontae Adams, as often as he could. Now Adams only ended up with 127 targets this year, but let's not forget he only played in 12 games. Adjusting that pace to over 16 games, it's 158 targets. He would have hit the number If he stayed on that pace, had he played in all 16 of the Packers' games this year, so close. But we don't play or we don't grade on games they could have played or he could have played. We grade on games that he actually did. He only ended up with 127 targets, not 150. So we're 0 for whatever now, 0 for four. Number five kind of stings because I predicted that Aaron Jones would rush for more than 1,100 yards he was just 16 yards away from that total. 1,084 yards. Boo. I mean, he didn't have a bad year, obviously, and he probably would have gotten to 1,100, had a couple very, very small things broken differently. For instance, there was an almost half-season stretch where he barely ran the ball. There was a seven-week span right smack dab in the middle of the Packers' season where he never had more than 13 carries in a game. From week six to week 13, he never ran the ball more than 13 times in any one game. Like, just one more carry per game in each of those games probably gets us over that 1,100-yard threshold. And since I am just that petty, I wanted to see if there was a chance that I may have lost this prediction due to penalty. Did Aaron Jones lose any yards due to penalty in 2019? As a matter of fact, he did. He had 33 rushing yards taken away due to penalty in 2019. That would have pushed us over 1,100 yards. But no, not quite there. The larger point is, though, Aaron Jones really thrived in this offense. He did a lot of great things on the ground. He got more involved in the passing game than he ever did before. The Packers finally seemed to figure out how to use Aaron Jones. Would it have been good to probably see him a little bit more during some of those games? Yeah, sure. Did the Packers seem to forget about him at times still? Yep, that's also true. But he had a great season and the Packers used him really well. Here is a prediction I did not get wrong. I predicted that Elton Jenkins would be in the starting lineup for the Packers by Week 5. That did, in fact, take place. He took over for Lane Taylor as the starting left guard in Week 3 after Taylor got hurt in Week two. Now, Jenkins had already been rotating in a little bit at that point already, but it doesn't matter because since Lane Taylor got hurt, he took over anyway. So he jumps into the starting lineup and never gives the job back. There is a prediction that is correct. When would it have happened had Taylor not gotten hurt? Who knows? Probably would have been pretty close to week five. It would have been a bummer if it had been a technicality and he goes to week six. Not even a technicality, I guess, just correct. Um, But here we are. If you can lose a prediction because Devontae Adams gets hurt, gets hurt you can get one back because uh, Lane Taylor got hurt. Here's another one I was right about, and I don't necessarily like to be right about pessimistic, pessimistic ones, but I predicted that Jimmy Graham would have fewer than 600 receiving yards in 2019. Matt LaFleur's offense is not particularly tight and friendly. And George Kittle is kind of the outlier in the Shanahan tree for tight ends because those offenses don't seem to really focus on getting the tight end involved all that much. And Jimmy Grant kind of lived that out in 2019. He only had 447 yards this season. In fact, he had a down near kind of across the board. His targets, his catches, and yards were all down from 2018. His yards per catch did go up slightly, though. From 11.6 to 11.8, but overall, it seemed like everyone in the world saw a down year coming for Jimmy Graham, except for maybe Brian Gudekunst, who brought him back at a very, very high salary to do basically nothing. This should probably be it for Jimmy Graham in Green Bay. In fact, if it's not, I think the pushback on Gutekunst should get a little bit louder. Even if Jimmy Graham does come back this year, Uh, Gutekunst is still probably way out ahead on the decisions he's made on free agents, but still, this one is turning out to be a bit of an albatross. I was wrong on what Brian Belaga would do in 2019. I predicted he'd appear in fewer than 12 games. This year, he was on the wrong side of 30 for the first time. I figured there might be a little bit of a breakdown here, and historically, that has kind of been the case but we were pleasantly surprised in 2019 because he appeared in all 16 regular season games. He did leave four games early due to injury. He did miss the divisional round game against the Seahawks because he got the flu, but he was out there and he had a great season when he was. Kind of happy to be wrong about that one. That's all for offense. Let's switch over to the defensive side. I predicted that in year two of the Mike Pettin era, the Packers' defense would rank in the top 10 in the NFL in the Football Outsiders DVOA metric. They ended up at 15th, which, as you know, is outside the top 10. According to Football Outsiders, they were 10th in pass defense and 23rd in rushing defense. Everyone is extremely surprised, of course. It was interesting to kind of follow this rushing defense story over the course of the season. Mike Pettin even said in, in his year opening press conference, that he didn't care so much about stopping the run. And I think he may still be right in that approach. It bit the Packers pretty bad twice. But there aren't many teams that run the ball like the San Francisco 49ers. Generally speaking, daring teams to run is a pretty good idea. And in games where the Packers really got gashed by the run, there really wasn't any reason for their opposing offense to give up on the run because the game was either close or they were leading comfortably. That's complementary football in a nutshell. To make your defensive strategy viable, your offense has to get some things going. If the Packers had built a 10-point lead, say, over the 49ers, at some point in the second half, I doubt we would have seen a quarter and a half straight of running plays from San Francisco. They would have had to throw the ball at some point. Petten may not be the one to blame there entirely. Now, it is probably not ideal to get run on like they did in the playoffs. Tongue very much in cheek there. Of course, it's not ideal. But you do need a little bit more from your offense there, too. It's not entirely the defense's fault. Carrying on, I predicted that no Packers pass rusher would have more than eight sacks. Wrong big time. Both of the Smith brothers did, and they blew past that number fairly comfortably. I thought the Packers would have more of a volume approach to their pass rush in 2019. Instead, they were a little bit more top-heavy. They did not get a lot of sack contributions from people other than Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. Kenny Clark came on late, but outside of that, it was pretty much just those two. That's why this other sack-related prediction is also wrong. I predicted the Packers would rank no lower than third in the league in total sacks. They were 15th. They had 41 total, actually down from 2018 the league leader, Pittsburgh, had 54 sacks, so well off the league-leading pace there. In fact, probably about two solid seasons from from pass rushers away. This is not, I think, to say that the Packers' pass rush was ineffective in, in 2019 just because it didn't hit these volume numbers or because they didn't get contributions from people outside the Smiths. I think the pass rush was one of the great success stories from the Packers this year, and it really enabled them to do a lot of things in the secondary that they probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. Down the stretch, when the Packers' defense seemed to really be hitting its stride, they were barely blitzing at all and barely ever dropping fewer than seven into coverage. That was because the Packers' front four, Zedarius Smith, Preston Smith, and whoever they rotated in as interior rushers, was just so dominant up front. They didn't have to bring anybody other than those four guys, and that's a great situation to be in. It's a lot easier to play defense if you can have seven guys in coverage. I thought, given what we saw from the Packers' defense in 2018, that they would lean on the blitz a little bit more than they did. They didn't, but they still were able to get pretty consistent pressure on the passer anyway. One where I'm proud to be right is this prediction at least three players will have two or more interceptions. Five players did for the Packers in 2019. Kevin King, Adrian Amos, Jair Alexander, Tremont Williams, and Darnell Savage each had two or more interceptions in 2019. And this fits with a larger trend. The Packers were, generally speaking, much better on takeaways in 2019. They ranked seventh in the league in takeaways. What were they in 2018? Take a guess. Wasn't close to seventh, just 29th in the NFL. They only had seven interceptions as a team in 2018. Kevin King and Jair Alexander had that many just together, just by themselves. They had as many as the Packers did as a team in 2018. That's pretty wild to think about. So a big win there for the Packers. Good prediction there, I guess, for me. I also predicted that Adrian Amos would match or surpass his career total of three interceptions. This is one I wanted badly just to get back at Bears fans a little bit. A lot of Bears fans up in the mentions of Packers writers last year talking about how actually Adrian Amos is a bit of a bum. Uh, He's only good because he played on a good defense. Uh, You won't see him make many splash plays. Uh, He's really not good at getting turnovers. Well, He actually did pretty good forcing turnovers. Had those two interceptions, not three, uh, but he was close to a couple others. He dropped at least two more interceptions, both in the end zone last year. Both of them ultimately ended up being caught by Kevin King. But he was close, and he was making plays in the ball. I would give myself a half right here, but we're not doing that. No half rights. You're either right or you're wrong. He did not come close Well, he did come close. He did not get to three interceptions in 2019. Three more predictions. One's a doubleheader. Rashawn Gary, I predicted, would have fewer than five sacks in his rookie season. This one seemed like a bit of a layup. After the Packers signed Zedarius and Preston Smith, they still went out and got themselves edge rusher Rashawn Gary. I was pretty vocally not a fan of this pick. I didn't want someone who was as unproductive in college as Gary was. But that made it easy to predict what he would do in 2019. For starters, he was behind the eight ball just in terms of playing time. He was behind both Zedarius and Preston Smith. He was behind Kyler Fackrell, probably. And he was kind of learning a new position. As a result, he only ended up with two sacks, only played 244 snaps. The upshot to this is that his pressure rate was pretty comparable to what Zadarius Smith did in his first season. He also showed some significant progress down the stretch. He showed a lot more variety in his pass rush moves. He showed a lot more just general strength, confidence, stuff like that. And next year, it seems like he's not going to have to play behind Kyler Fackrell. Because I think there's a good chance that Fackrell is going to be moving on to, if not greener pastures, at least different pastures. I think there may be some reasons for hope here. Still color me skeptical overall about Rashawn Gary. But, hey, he's going to get a lot more opportunities next year. Doubleheader prediction. I predicted that Jair Alexander would make the Pro Bowl but would not be an All-Pro. This was an Alexander-related prediction, specifically because he said these were his goals. He wanted to be both a Pro Bowler and an All-Pro. I thought he would make the Pro Bowl. As it turns out, he did not, but would not be an All-Pro, and as it turned out, he was not. So I guess the double header is half right, but if there's two predictions in there, I get one for two. Okay, credit there. I think... There was something to Alexander's idea that he would have gotten a lot more Pro Bowl votes this year had he caught a couple more interceptions. That is fair. You should always try to catch interceptions if you have the opportunity. Yeah, galaxy brain take there, of course. Um, but that's something he can improve on in 2020. I think that may be a real big turning point for him. Is he going to be just a good to good corner, or is he going to be a very good to elite corner? Because you've got to be able to make quarterbacks pay when they make mistakes. If they make a mistake and you can get your hands on an interception, you've got to do it. Alexander was not able to do that in 2019. We'll see if he can do it in 2020. Finally, a bit of a layup prediction. I predicted that Martinez would, Blake Martinez would again be in the top three in the NFL in tackles. He was. You can set your watch to it if your watch runs on NFL tackles for some reason. Final numbers for Blake Martinez, 155 tackles, good for second in the NFL behind only Seattle's Bobby Wagner. He had 159. Interesting note, Arizona had two tacklers in the top five in 2019. Jordan Hicks was third with 150 tackles. Buda Baker had 147. That's a lot of tackles for two guys. Very impressive there. What have we learned from this entire exercise? First, making predictions is hard. Secondly, and most importantly, It's really difficult to have firm opinions, um, well-rounded opinions, well-thought-out guesses about a team in July, in August, because even even then, there's so little you know about a team. You really don't know how things are going to play out. You don't know what the character of a team is like. And and just as importantly, you don't really know anything yet about the teams that they're playing against. That's why I think preseason stuff, just to take one example, that talks about the schedule strength of a team in a given season and what the, what the strength of schedule they have for their upcoming year is going to be that's just difficult to take seriously because it's based on stuff that's almost literally a year out of date so much changes so much turns over on a gen, uh, given NFL roster in the course of an off season that the team that takes the field in 2020 for the packers for example is an entirely different unit there's going to be a lot of similar players but the character of this team while similar, is going to be completely different. We'll still do the prediction exercise again before the 2020 season, but I'd bet our batting average is not going to be a whole lot better. What predictions did you get right? What predictions did you get wrong for the Packers this year? Let me know on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you find this podcast. I'd be interested in hearing what you got right and what you got wrong about the 2019 Packers. Weighing in that way is one of the best ways you can support the show because it helps us further uh, the conversation around the team, which helps everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.